Welcome to the Low Rates High Returns podcast where we'll uncover the timeless investment principles so you can escape the rat race, earn passive income and create lasting wealth. I'm Pete Wargent, investor and financial coach and I'm joined by Stephen Moriarty, private investor and the co-author of our new book, Low Rates High Returns. In each episode of this podcast, we talk about the crucial concepts around managing your own money, how to invest, when to invest, and the key lessons we've learned along the way about generating passive income. The things we discuss in this episode shouldn't be taken as financial advice, and we recommend you reach out to a licensed professional advisor who can help you with your unique circumstances. Enjoy the show. Today, we're going to talk about one of our other eight timeless principles of investing, diversification. So uh, one of the oldest adages of investing. And I think, Steve, in the book, the, one of the analogies we used, I think back to when I was growing up as a, a child back in the days um, when people had back gardens, being from a family of seven, all boys, we used to just play cricket all the way through the summer. And um, See, back in those days, England still used to win the Ashes occasionally, and <laughs> I used to pretend to be probably in both of them. And my brother with the uh, left arm orthodox spin, he was uh, Alan Border. I remember one day came down the pitch and I, I clubbed one straight into the back of our house where we lived in Yorkshire. And um, for, for whatever reason, our house had these huge double doors on the back, just one massive window pane. And of course, you could uh, guess what happened next. It went straight through the middle of it. And I remember thinking at the time, there was just something that went through my head, is that why on earth would you have one enormous window pane that gets shattered, especially when you've got five boys playing out the back? It did cross my mind that maybe I should say this to my dad. Well, maybe if you'd have had a series of smaller windows, you might have only had to pay the repair cost for one. But funnily enough, uh, he wasn't that uh, keen on my line of thought at that point in time. So I guess the, the whole point of diversification is not having all of your eggs in one basket. Um, as we've seen in recent weeks, the future is always inherently uncertain and black swan events can come along. Uh, so it always makes good sense to have a diversified portfolio. But as we're discovering, what people are discovering is that diversification uh, works when you have uncorrelated assets exactly, in yep. a portfolio. Yep. Uh, so Steve, I'm just going to hand over to you um, and then we're going to run through a number of the different ways in which you can diversify. So it's, it's a more complex topic than it first sounds. Yeah, yeah. It, diversification sounds really attractive and it sounds really sensible. Um, and, it, and it is and it can be. The, the issue is, that, and I don't want to deal too much with, you know, here's the, the models of it or something, but it's based on the normal distribution, right? That's how Markowitz came to get his theory of efficient market hypothesis. When you look at a normal distribution, you're looking at separate data points, whether it's, you know, the daily return or the weekly return or the yearly return. And what you're looking at is uncorrelated data points. So if I'm in a room with 100 people, let's say they're men, the average height's five foot ten, right? One fellow walks in and he's six foot. Well, the next person is not who walks in is not correlated to that person. It's a separate data point. So they could be five foot two, six foot ten. That's the idea of correlation or being uncorrelated. The problem is the stock market's not like that. Okay. We know that we are all influenced by what happened yesterday to what happens the, the next day. And a really simple way to look at it is when you look at the US as the, you know, the elephant in the room, so to speak, 
when it goes down in 2008, Australia was doing quite well. There was, we didn't have any problems. We didn't have a housing bubble or any of that sort of stuff. And we crashed. Now, everyone crashed. Why? Because we were all correlated, right? And it's not right to say, oh, well, it's all right. If you buy in the US and you buy in Brazil and you buy in China, you'll be fine. Now, would it be fair to say, because I'm thinking back um, to my younger years, and yes, they used to say if the US sneezes, the rest of the world catches yeah, a cold. Yeah, but it, yep. would it be fair to say that particularly global financial markets are more correlated now than they've ever been? Yeah, it, yeah. Even in 2018, we saw the US went down in Q4 and everywhere else followed, <laughs> and then the US bounced in 2019 yep. and everywhere else followed. So, so yes, some markets are cheaper than others, some are more expensive, but it seems to me that these days, if you'll pardon the French, that when the when the shit hits the fan, everything correlates to one. Yeah, absolutely. It's, again, the reason why you've got to be careful and look at uncorrelated assets, and, uh, and hence the reason why people talk about stocks and bonds or stocks and gold, because or stocks and cash, as we recommend, because whatever stocks do, that doesn't affect cash. That's the benefit, particularly in downturns, when you've got lots of cash. And as you just said, in 2018, everything was fine until quarter four, the US crashed and we all ended up down for the year. Now, 2019, what happens? The US bounces back, everybody, we all follow. You know, so start at 220, the US goes down, we all go down. And so in actual fact, if you have a look at the world ETF, the returns on the world ETF are pretty well a parallel of what you get in the S&P or, you know, the Dow in the US market. And what they've discovered is since 08, we're actually even more correlated mm. between us. And so what that says is, okay, that's that's diversification. Well, no, it's not because as we're showing, when the US goes, we all go with it. You've got to be correlated in something else. Interesting point there. So there's a few different angles to explore, but um, we know that most investors have a home bias. But yeah, as you say, um, the US now, I mean, it, it obviously uh, fluctuates through the cycle, but perhaps about, about half of the global market cap is accounted for by US stocks, depending on the point of the cycle we're in. Yep. Australia may be 2 to 3% of global market cap, and yet... As we know, most investors... About 70% of our money's in the local market. Yeah, that's right. And it, it's not just a uniquely Australian trait. It's um, all around the world. People feel more comfortable yeah. investing. And to, to a certain extent, there is a there is some logic behind it in terms of currency and so on. But generally speaking, people are very heavily tilted to their home market. It just um, feels safer. And you know this with property. Seldom do you hear people say, oh, yeah, we've got, a, we've got an investment property in you know the south of France. It's like... Oh, really? Right. Because it's it's a sort of tangible thing that you, you think if it's closer to you, you've got more sort of control over it. Yeah, you can drive past it. You yeah, can yeah, touch yeah. It and you point it out and you can go, yeah, that's mine. Yeah, to a certain extent with bank shares or Telstra yeah, yeah. shares, you, you can see those brands. You drive into Woolies in. and you go, I've got shares in Woolies. Mm. Or, you, you know, you go shopping in Woolies. So there's that sort of aspect to it. And... What the home bias does is it really brings home the idea that you've got to be a global investor and go where the, the money is, so to speak. You know, if there's markets that are cheap, will you put a little bit more into those markets rather than sit at home? As you know, the last 10 years, the Australian stock market's done, you know, pretty average return, whereas the US has boomed. And so that's where you've got to actually say, well, hang on, that's where the action is. I might need to have a look over there and disregard the home bias. 
what happens with companies as well is when you buy companies, and Robert Schiller did a study on this and said what you find is the companies correlate to the local market even though that doesn't really make sense. And what he said is if you think of someone like Toyota, Toyota's a world company, right? Most of its money is made outside of Japan, yet the movement of Toyota moves with the Japanese stock market. Mm. Well, that doesn't really make that much sense. And so that's the way people think about how they think about companies. Yeah, so sure. So you need a macro overlay because if you buy a cheap stock, as Howard Marks said, yep. if you buy a cheap stock, even in an expensive, if the market comes down, it will most likely bring you down, down with, with it. it. Yep. it. He said it's uh, hubristic to yep. expect you will do, you will outperform the market just by buying the cheap yeah. stocks because when the market goes down, it tends to bring everything with it. Dave Drayman, I'm an old sort of value investor, contrarian investor, he said what you should do is basically look at each sector, um, you know, energy, consumer discretionary, consumer staples, REITs, uh, industrials, materials, you know, that sort of thing, and pick the company, pick one or two companies out of each one, and that would be diverse enough. What the standard studies have shown is once you get past about 25 stocks, you're not building any safety in terms of risk. So in other words, you can diversify more but it doesn't necessarily mean it'll reduce your risk. No, I mean, that's a simple numbers game, right? So if you yeah. if you split your money between two stocks, okay, you're no longer 100% invested, yeah. you're 50. If you go to three stocks, it's 33%. Up to six, seven, eight stocks, clearly you're getting a lot of diversification benefits. But as you head off towards 15, 16, 17, it, it's a law of diminishing returns there. Yeah. And in particular, if they're all in the same market, then obviously that diversification arguably isn't achieving much. If you think about it in terms of companies, for example, this is the sort of hard part about explaining to people the common beliefs about asset allocation, rebalancing, diversification, blah, 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 because they're all based around this idea of a buy and hold mentality, which comes from the, the efficient market theory. And the problem is, again, what people say, if you look at Warren Buffett, Buffett concentrates his investments, right? And he does, you know, we can't really argue with Uncle Warren because he's you know, one of the richest guys in the Got world. Got some runs on the board, I he guess. Seems, yeah, he seems to be doing something all right. <laughs> so you would generally say, well, maybe I should study Warren Buffett and see what he's doing. What Buffett says is, well, indexing is sort of for people that don't know what they're doing. But when you look at companies, you can diversify across companies but again, when you look at the distribution of companies, most of them are rotten investments. Mm. And so you can sort of say, oh, look, it's important to be diversified. Okay. And 70% of companies are a failure in investment terms. So it's a bit like, well, your chances of picking a single winner are really slim. Yeah, I think actually where this is um, deceptive, it's so deceptively difficult to do consistently well like yeah, a Buffett yeah. or a... Um, the most successful stock pickers is, yeah, sure. Now you might pick one good company. You might you might have bought Tesla just before it boomed or whatever. Yep. If you think about investing as a, a series of repeated similar yeah, yeah. bets, the, the try doing you, that fifty times. That's right. <laughs> you, you may do it once or twice yep. or three times, but uh, to consistently pick winners, and that's what the research on the capitalist distribution shows. Is yeah, that yeah. You might be trying to pick the one stock in five that is is a performer. And maybe two in every five do nothing or just go backwards. Yep. And then a whole load in the middle do nothing at all of any use. 
Uh, so to consistently be a stock picker, very difficult. So I think um, to try and bring this together, apart from the asset allocation between yep. stocks and cash, which we talk about in another episode, yep. I, th- I think um, essentially three key ways you need to think about diversification. Number one, um, this capitalist distribution that we were just talking about. Yep. What's really changed in recent times is that you no longer need to be a stock picker. You can buy an ETF if, yep. if you so desire. Um, that might own, say, the top few hundred companies in a country, or you can buy an ETF that owns a sector or so on. But obviously, you would be looking to try and buy ETFs that are out of favour and cheap rather than ones that have already done their dash. The expensive ones, So that is one key way in which you can diversify. We seem to just naturally drift towards picking stocks. And it's just a bit like, well, why would you try and, you know, if if, if we say to people, you know our ETF strategy, and you say to people, well, look, best of luck, you can try and pick out of, you know, 500 stocks on the Australian Stock Exchange, best of luck, as you say, picking 50 winners, you know, over a 20 or 30 year time frame. When you look at the the statistics or even the simple odds, you'd go, well, that's, you know, that's fool's errand to try and do that. It's much easier to say, show me how the market cycles. Oh, okay. So so I should probably buy at the bottom point because the index is not going to go broke. No. Okay. Well, put more in at the bottom. Listen, here's where it gets rich. Take some off. Mm. It's really that sort of simple. I think, I mean, stock picking is is deceptively, uh, it's an attractive thing, especially... um, It's interesting. Especially for blokes. Yes, it's exciting. It's a bit of an (laughs) ego thing. I expect like a lot of young men, my experience of stock picking was... When the market was going up, everything was doing just brilliant. Yeah, you know? and, and, and you're a genius. Yeah, that's right. But uh, <laughs> uh, as we always stress, to actually build significant wealth from markets, which is what we're all here to do, you need to sustain those returns through a full cycle. Yeah. And it's no use picking yep. a stock that doubles if it then halves or worse yep. on the way down. Uh, so one of the ways that you can diversify is using ETFs to invest in countries or sectors. That's, styles and stuff. That's a good point. So there, there are multiple ways in which you can diversify using a diversified product. Yep. I guess that's the first yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, yep. Now, the second way is that obviously you have some good ideas, but you're not going to put all of your money in one Basket. position yep. because um, black swan events can always happen. The future is uncertain. You can tilt the odds in your favour by looking to buy stuff that's cheap, but you might look to have some positions. So every year... There might be uh, countries that look cheap and good value. So you might buy some ETFs in a few cheap countries. You might buy a few cheap sectors. And as you mentioned, maybe styles. So I suppose that's the second way to diversify by holding a range of positions. We might just come back to that point in a minute. Okay, yeah. In terms of looking at the quilt of returns and how you might even screen for opportunities. And the third way, which I think we've touched on in a previous episode is that if you've got a good idea, you don't just pile in on day one and throw 100% of the, the money you've got allocated for that investment yep. uh, because a cheap investment can always get cheaper. So let's say you go, you've got 10000 allocated for an investment. You might have, say, 5000 or if it looks really cheap, you might put in seven, but you've still got some dry powder yep. so that if it gets cheaper, you can drip feed in. So that, that's a third way to diversify is diversifying over time. Yeah. Let's come back to that idea of the ETF strategy and how, how you even start screening okay. for opportunities. And via, I mean, the quilt of returns is one of my favourite resources when it comes to investing. Yep. And if you're not familiar, the quilt of returns essentially shows that if you looked at returns from, say, countries. Developed if, countries. 
what you find is that no country stays at the top forever. Yep. A country will have a great year, then a terrible year, then an okay year, then a great year. And what you find is that very often the countries that have underperformed for a couple of years then suddenly have tremendous returns on the rebound. Yep. And it guides you in terms of sometimes people say, well, the quilt looks kind of random and therefore, well, why bother trying to pick winners? But the, the way we, we would look at that and say, well, hang on a second, if you can see that all markets have good and bad years, why wouldn't you just look to the cheapest markets yeah, yeah. and uh, screen out the, the media noise and actually just focus on the signal and look for cheap countries, cheap sectors and so on? So, yeah, I see this all the time. You look at a, a, a quilt of returns, you know, and let's say it's developed markets, right, or emerging markets or styles or sectors. What people do is they take a 10-year snapshot, and this is what all the commentators do. They take a 10-year snapshot and they say, look at that. You can't tell which is going to be a winner, can you? Well, I'm not interested in knowing what's going to be a winner. What I want to know is, is an investment going to make me money? Okay. Now, when you look at the quill of returns, you go, oh, that's funny. All the ones down the bottom go up and all the ones at the top go down. And people go, oh, you can't tell, you know, you can't predict the markets. Uh, okay. But it's pretty strange how the studies show the ones who are losers become winners and the winners become losers. So, why, if you say, for example, and I think we always bang on about Turkey, you know, if you look at Turkey's 10-year return, it's zero. Or, I think or, actually over 20 years, yeah, the it, real return has been pretty much zero. Zero. But there's been years where we've invested in Turkey and got 75%. Why would I sit there and watch it go down? Because if you go and look at Turkey, and I urge everybody to go and look at Turkey and look at the volatility of the returns. The important part is not the volatility of returns. The important part is saying, well, listen, every time it goes down really low, you've probably got a pretty good probability, a very high probability that it's going to go back up, you know, and all countries do that. You do get periods where Greece, for example, stayed low for three or four years. I think Brazil is probably the most extreme Brazil example was a, because yep. it had a double dip recession. Yep. So that's a good, uh, good example to pick. So let's say... You know, very few people have the stomach for negative returns over three or four years. And yep. that's where the concept of the macro valuation is so important. Yeah, yeah. You would only invest in a country. If the index overall is cheap, then that's your signal. So in Brazil, uh, the CAPE ratio actually fell to as low as about four or five yeah, or something yeah. like that. So when markets become very cheap, then it's a screaming buy signal. Yep. But don't necessarily buy into a market just because it's falling. Yep. The US is a good example. People are saying... Uh, not so long ago, well, it's down 10%, time to buy the dip. It's so, well, heck, <laughs> look Hang at the on. valuation. Let's have a look at the macro stuff. Yeah, well, the point it. there too is that if you think about those countries, let me give you an example. A, a mate of mine rang me, oh, you know, a couple of years ago or whatever, and he sort of went, oh, you know, such and such went down, you know, like, you know, and having a bit of a grumble. And I said, oh, right, okay. How did, you know, how did you go overall? Oh, yeah, 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 it did really well. And it's like, well, I'm sorry, what do you think you're going to go through your investing life not picking any losers? You know, and if that's the case, we'll just put it all on one if you think it's going to be a winner. So, again, it's about diversification and being sensible because, as you say, things can be cheap and you can go, my God, this is a magnificent investment, and then it halves. Mm. You know, and you suddenly go, oh, actually, maybe I'm wrong. It can play tricks with you there. Mm. But the, the point remains everybody has losing investments. It's just that, you know, it's like going to the racetrack and thinking you're going to pick every winner or you go to the casino and you're going to win every hand. Everybody would say to you, well, that's ridiculous. It's exactly the same in stocks, especially if you pick companies. 
less so, as we talk about the risk hierarchy, less so with, with countries and sectors. And this is what the studies show. Winners become losers and losers become winners. It's very tough to look at a loser and go, that's a winner, mm. because it doesn't feel like a winner. That's a very good point, actually. This is one of the places that the ETF strategy comes into its own, because let's say, just as a case in point, Australian stock market falls, you know, we, we're we in the middle of a bear market now, yep. so who knows? But let's say, for example, the market's down 40 or 50%. If you decide to buy into that market, uh, and if it goes down another 10%, well, you're pretty confident that the whole index is not going bust. So exactly. averaging down, you can do with a great deal of confidence. Yep. If you're doing that into an individual company, um, there's a fair chance uh, that maybe you've missed something, that the market knows something you don't. Yep. You will lose your nerve when the because there's an old saying, what do you call a stock that's down 90%? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a stock that's down 80 and then it just halves on you. And that's what can happen with yeah, an individual I've company. I've had it happen. <laughs> yeah, uh, for sure. And oil companies now, right now would be facing that predicament if the oil price continues yep. to plunge in the face of the oil price war, yep. then that could easily happen. Now, if you've picked a you know a very strong company, then you might have confidence that when the oil price comes back, then yep. great. But if you, you still get the wobbles. Yeah, for you sure. Still, you still look at it and go, "What if they nationalised?" You know, BP or you know, you it, it's an it's a human reaction to sort of go, "Oh my God, I could be wrong," and it's quite natural. And I know, you know, lots of fund managers say, look, you just got to look at the facts and, you know, rah, rah, rah. but when the markets are volatile, things are shifting, you know, fairly quickly. And so markets can turn on a dime and the facts can change really, really fast. Mm. You know, and so in a, in a wild, volatile bear market, that's when things can get extremely cheap. And this is yeah, where yeah. the Kelly model, and this is a point we just reiterate over and over again, the Kelly model comes into its own because... You can buy more and more units as stuff gets very cheap when everybody else is panicking and they're fully invested. I mean, that's that's the time for you to make hay. Before we wrap up on this section, Stephen, to bring it together, I just wanted to tap your brains on diversification, particularly using the ETF strategy. Now, we've talked about how you might screen for opportunities, you know, yep. worst performing countries over the last year or two, most out of favour sectors, so things like energy at the moment. Yep. Um, emerging markets, uh, some of those have been Hated, hammered yep. with currency crises and yep. so on, and then uh, styles as well. Yep. Just a feel for how many positions across a, a, a stock portfolio might be appropriate. So you might have, say, what, three countries yeah, uh, in it, terms of the developed markets and maybe a few emerging. Is, is there a number yeah, that you work towards? I, I hold probably around 20 total positions. A majority of those are ETFs. I do pick individual stocks, but that's as we're going to talk about in another session about how I manage my money. But in terms of ETFs, you can do something really simple. Let's use sectors. Now, here I'm talking about US sectors, not Australian sectors. You go to the US sectors, there's about 11, if I remember correctly. You pick the awful ones, right? And then you put some money in them and then you don't put all your money in them. And again, we'll talk about that in another session. It's simply saying the loser is going to be tomorrow's winner because eventually something gets cheap enough where it starts to catch people's eye where they go, well, there's an 8% dividend return. That's a lot better than what I'm getting over here. And they jump into it. And you find that sectors can be out of favour globally. And you often find that. And again, it ties back to the US. If the US says telecoms are awful, 
you can go to you can go to most countries and find out. Guess what? They're awful, you know, and you get great yields. People will argue about you know what they're worth and growth and all that sort of thing, and we'll deal with that later. But yeah, what you find is in the developed markets, in emerging markets, in US sectors, and in uh, styles. What I mean by styles is value versus growth ETFs. Mm. Um, you can get small, medium and large ETFs in value or growth style. Now, again, just between those six, all you want to do is go to the, the ones that haven't performed because what we've seen in the last 10 years is growth has been fantastic and value has underperformed. Now, growth has delivered about, if I remember correctly, off the top of my head, it's about 300% in 10 years. Now, people would say, ah, value has underperformed. It has but it's delivered about 220%. I'm not going to complain about that too often, you know. So if people go and look at academic studies that are quite rigorous, it shows you that yesterday's loser at some stage becomes a winner. As you know, with the Kelly model, all you've got to do is survive. And that's why I say, well, look, it's better to buy an ETF than it is to buy a single company because a single company can go bust. Whereas an ETF, now, it may have its own issues, but it seldom does. And they're a much more effective way of reducing risk. And a key point of the Kelly model, as always, is investing is repeated similar bets. There will always be great opportunities Absolutely. in the future. They come yep. around year in, year out. Um, so you need to make sure that you are around for those opportunities in the future. Hence, diversification, black swan events will always come. We just don't know when or what. Um, but you can protect yourself by being being diversified over a number of positions, investing in diversified products such as ETFs, and then diversifying over time. If you use all of that with a common sense macro overlay on valuations, um, you'll do just fine through this cycle. So that's it for this session. We'll see you next time. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you want to know more, you can download a free chapter and extra bonuses from our new book, Low Rates, High Returns. Just visit www.lowrateshighreturns.com forward slash book to download your free copy. The things we've discussed in this episode shouldn't be taken as financial advice and we recommend you reach out to a licensed professional advisor who can help you with your unique circumstances. Stephen and I are both on LinkedIn and Twitter, so do reach out and connect with us. And finally, it'd be great if you could subscribe and leave us a review. It really helps others to find the show. Now take care and invest wisely. Cheers. Cheers.